0: Hi, well, welcome to chapter two called to more than salvation. I start this chapter off talking about how I had a Muslim employee who told me once that a Christian who was trying to witness to him said, well, once you say the prayer to Jesus, then you could be an ax murderer for the rest of your life and you'd still go to heaven. And my Muslim employee, who was a really good immoral moral guy said, I, I could never believe in your religion because who could believe in a God like that that would put up with such evil. And, and, I, and I thought about that and said, you know, well, most Christians would agree with that statement, but they would think that's not quite right, but not sure how to put words to it. That, you know, they would say, well, you must not have really been saved. there be other things that they would say. And the problem is we end up with this loss of a sense of justice, that our religion seems unjust, that we have a loving father who gave his life for us. We all understand that. And he forgave us our sins through no effort of our own. And if you are an evangelical Christian, you, you understand that. But then it's like, well, what about after that? What about all these words that Jesus talks about? Good works and rewards, which again, we're going to get into a lot. But the negative side of this, what about justice? What about that person who does evil all the time? And when you don't understand that properly, you end up becoming judgmental or angry because jesus look what they're getting away with what we want to get from this book is not only the positive over the rewards and and all that which are amazing when we get to them but also to correct the wrong notion that somehow people are getting away with something see when we understand that christians will be judged at the judgment seat of christ then we understand that we don't need to be judgmental because because God is a God of justice and he will make sure it's all OK in the end. So their sins will be forgiven, but we will be rewarded who will walk with him. And we want to get into that a little bit more today. Um, what I don't go into in the book is just sort of a thought that, you know, when you write a book, sometimes you um, you come up with ideas. You think, oh, that would have been a helpful thing to put in there. And I'm a huge fan of history, especially um, American history and especially the Old West. And when you look at a lot of the Old West, so many of the tribes that were conquered in the West um, really were relatively new. The Sioux had come down from what is now Canada and were conquering Indians. And the Comanche had captured horses from the Spanish for hundreds of years and become better horsemen than anyone else. And they were particularly cruel. And they were coming up from the South. And really, a lot of the tribes had changed. The, the original tribes had been wiped out. And one of the reasons that the we struggled america struggled with those wars with those different tribes was that they didn't understand the concept of mercy so for them, for for an Indian who had never heard the gospel, who had no Christian worldview, they were a lot more like how people thought in the Old Testament. So, one of the reasons we struggled with the Apaches for so long, and why we weren't able to conquer them until the early 1900s, which is why Arizona and New Mexico took so long to become states, was because when we would let them go, when we would show mercy, their concept, they didn't have a word for it in in their lexicon, and so they thought their spirit was stronger than the person who let them go. So, if you didn't kill them when you could, it wasn't because you had some kind of Christian love. It was because their spirit was stronger than your spirit. And so what we want to start understanding is that as we as Christians want to talk to people, we're used to a country with a Christian worldview. Well, that's not the case anymore. And so a lot of times as we're speaking to people, those of us who are older, are used to starting at a certain starting point of a a basic understanding of Judeo-Christian values. Well, we're starting further behind now. So a lot of times as we start to talk, they don't even know what we're talking about. So as we start talking about the love of Christ and salvation and forgiveness of sins, most of us understand that that comes with some things that we need to accomplish, Matthew 5-7. through But we haven't adopted what we're saying to that. The second thing about the American Indian Wars, which is interesting, is that they did not understand the concept of a protracted war. They understood battles. So... Battles lead to battles lead to battles, which is a, a war mentality. If, if you think about the Marines uh, going to conquer Japan in World War II, they went from Okinawa and Guadalcanal and Iwo Jima, rock to rock to rock on their way to Japan, battles leading to ultimately winning the war. Well, the the American Indian tribes didn't understand war. They understood winning a battle. So they went to battle and they would be happy. Well, that was to us just one battling a series of battles, so they ended up losing quickly. The reason I'm bringing that up is if we don't unify as Christians, and come together as one, we're going to look just like the American Indian. In other words, they won a few battles and then woke up one day and found themselves on a reservation. And we as Christians, if we don't start to understand who we are, why we believe what we believe, and why we should be giving all for our faith and for Christ, we're going to lose the war even as we celebrate winning a couple of moral battles. And this is what I want to call us to now with the story of Jake Gordon. It's a famous LAPD story and he was someone with whom I was very close and that's not his real name so if if anybody on the LAPD is watching this going, I don't remember Captain Jake Gordon, it's because I changed his name for the sake of what we're going to get to at the end of this little talk, uh, his son. But Jake Gordon was an infamous um, L.A captain. And at the time, in the late 60s, of our story, he was a sergeant in in internal affairs. Now, if you wanted to promote on the LAPD, one of the best ways to do it was be in internal affairs. Internal affairs was the cops of the cops. So they would investigate police officers who had something uh, that, that was against them. In this particular case, they got a case of a, a decorated police officer 19 and a half years on the job. That meant he was six months away from his pension. And that officer was seen outside of a bar late at night in Santa Monica, exposing himself, committing a, uh, a disgusting act. And you can imagine what that would be. And they, they immediately thought, well, this has to be a lie. There were two witnesses. There was the uh, waitress that was there at the bar, and then there was her boyfriend who was waiting to pick her up late at night when she got off of work. Those were the only two witnesses, which was weird because there was a crowded bar and people everywhere. And yet of all the people everywhere, nobody noticed this guy naked, he was a big guy, except for these two. So Jake Gordon and his partner immediately went to the officer and said, Well, this must be a false accusation. And the officer said to them, and he was painfully honest, I got blackout drunk, I don't remember anything. He said, I was down on the beach, um, got hammered, walked into that bar, and I don't remember anything since. Okay, so now he can't defend himself, and he has the word of these two people against him. He ultimately gets fired. By Jake Gordon and his partner, which is very hard to fire a police officer, especially with 19 and a half years on. But for something like that, he gets fired. Well, well, Jake was really bothered by this and thought this isn't something's not right. As I just kind of described, if you were an officer, you'd be thinking, hmm. It, the, the story doesn't really add up because of all these other witnesses. And yet the one person who's been accused can't defend himself. And he's being so painfully honest. If he just said it didn't happen, he'd be okay. But he was so honest to say, I don't remember. Turns out that he had uh, fatal leukemia. Uh, he had just found out that day, a diagnosis. And so he'd gone down. He had a wife, a bunch of kids gone down to the beach, gotten blackout, drunk, wondering what he was going to do, how he was going to explain to his wife that they'd work, he'd worked 20 years so that they could do their dream of camping in the in the mountains around California in a little camper and finish raising their kids. And now he's gonna die before he saw any of that. So Jake continues to investigate this on the side, even though he's not supposed to. And about three months later, he's in Parker Center, which is police headquarters, and he opens up the LA Times. And there on the front page is a guy that was just arrested in Santa Ana for a triple homicide. He's bothered by this and looks at it and finally realizes that the guy who was just arrested for the triple homicide was the boyfriend who was the witness against this officer. He grabs his partner and says, man, look, look at this. So I won't go into all the details of the story, but essentially they do a full investigation and find out that this guy is a complete psycho. He he brings uh, some psychologists down there. They investigate the guy. They go back, find out the girlfriend says, no, I never saw actually what I said I did. He just told me he was going to kill me if I didn't agree with him. Okay, so now you have one witness who was lying and never saw it. And the other witness is in prison for murder and he's just been diagnosed as crazy. So Jake goes back to his lieutenant in charge of internal affairs with this great news, and the lieutenant is furious, tells him he's not gonna hire that officer back because this lieutenant doesn't wanna look bad. So this lieutenant is going to let this guy who now has no medical coverage, whose reputation has been destroyed falsely, he doesn't wanna rectify that situation because he doesn't wanna lose a little check mark he got for firing a police officer. Well, they do hire him back. One of the things I don't tell in the story in the book is that Jake Gordon actually went to hit the the commander in charge of, of the whole bigger group and told him what was going on. The commander, who was the one who made sure that the officer got hired back, and the commander to help out Jake Gordon offered him to be the commanding officer of a brand new division they were forming called Anti-Terrorist Division. And I remember Jake telling me the story in 1989 saying... We didn't really even know what a terrorist was in the late 60s but we were hiring putting this division together it would have been really elite when uh, when gordon goes back to his lieutenant and says yeah i'm gonna go to to do this the lieutenant tells him oh i really need you here i'm really sorry for everything i'm sorry for what i did and then at the last second, the lieutenant pulls one over on Jake Gordon, transfers into a footbeat in Central Division, walking around, rousting bums. So completely stabbed him in the back, um, using Jake Gordon's own Christian values and virtues. So Gordon went, instead of running this elite anti-terrorist division, he went to um, rousting bums because of the lieutenant. Then we talk about this feeling of justice, because when you hear a story like that, you just inside it makes you angry like something should happen and yet it, it it clashes with our faith which says that god forgives us for everything so are we saying that this lieutenant who did something so evil first he tried to continue destroying this guy's life for no reason and then he backstabbed Jake Gordon this this legendary LA cop and and he's just okay like we're all just supposed to be okay with that well actually no So what I want to do is set up for you this um, concept that when you feel something that's not quite right, you've you've heard something in the Christian religion so many times, and yet inside we think, it doesn't seem right, but we just sort of skate over it. Those are the moments when you need to really stop and think about what it is that you think you believe and, and seek out scripture. And what does the Bible say about that? So in this case, we see that we yearn for justice, and yet we preach a religion that's unjust. And I think we do so out of ignorance. And we're seeing in this process that it is not unjust, that though God, through his great mercy and grace, does save anyone who is born again and believes in him at the same time, Judgment will be had on all people, Christians at one throne and non-Christians at another throne. So we've already seen that Ephesians 2.8.9 says that we're saved by grace through faith. And we've seen that Ephesians 2.10 says that we all have good works that were prepared at the beginning of time for us to accomplish them. And we've been gifted to accomplish those works, and we will be judged based on how we accomplish those works. And so let's go back to the foundational issue and problem we have with our faith here, which is we often say we were saved to get to the end. That is the perception that we generally have across the church is, I said the prayer, and now I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to sit and wait for Jesus to come back, or for the day I die and get judged and that is not the story of scripture we were not saved to get to the end we were saved to get to the beginning that's why we say that you're born again now that you've been born again you have been born again you have believed in Christ now you're a baby now it's time to grow up now it's time to accomplish the mission for which you're saved so why have we gone so far off what's interesting You know, I tell the story uh, in in this chapter about a friend of mine who was one of the original astronauts, and he told me that his ship was actually off course 99% of the time. It was just, you know, the little corrections that got it to the moon. Well, he didn't have a devil that was trying to knock it off course like we do. See, our lives might be slightly off course all the time because we're not perfect. As we become sanctified and holy, it becomes closer and closer to the line, the narrow path on which we need to walk but we're aiming for the goal of sanctification, of holiness in Christ. But we have a liar who is there all the time trying to pull us off. And that liar is constantly in our ears. And you have to remember, Satan has been at this since long before any of us were born, all through human history. He was there at the beginning, learning how to lie. And by now, because he's locked in time like we are, he's become really, really good at the lie. And the best lie is the one that's closest to the truth. There was a story, um, I don't think I've told this before, about a ship and the ship owner's son was the first mate and he was a worthless alcoholic. And then he had a really good captain and the captain was always struggling with the first mate. And so one day finally the captain had had it and he wrote in the ship's log, first mate drunk today. And as the ship was coming into port, the first mate sees this and he writes in the log, captain sober today. Was that true? Yeah, but it gives you the impression of, oh, the, the sobriety was an unusual thing rather than he's sober every day. And so we can say truthful statements that lead you to the wrong conclusion. And so when we take say the truthful statement that you've been saved by grace and now you're waiting for Jesus to come back, that's all true. But unfortunately, what it means is we're sitting here waiting for Jesus to come back instead of being at work for Jesus, doing the thing for which we were saved. What kind of lies do we fall into with Satan? And I think... Remember, Satan doesn't really care about you. He hates you, but only because you're loved by Jesus. But he really hates Jesus, and he wants to do whatever he can to hurt him. There are millions and millions of plans going on. The Lord Jesus Christ has a million, million different plans in every believer on this earth who has ever lived, and you either will or won't accomplish it by your free will. Well, if he can get you to not accomplish your part of the program, then part of the program isn't happening part of it breaks down we see that Christianity should have taken over the whole world with the grace and love of Jesus we should have changed the world but have we no in fact we've actually lost significant part of the world in the last several decades here in the United States we have seen the decline of Christendom why because Satan has got us occupied with his lies what kind of lies you know, for a lot of us, the, the biggest lie that we're susceptible to is the past. A lot of us are tied up in bitterness, anger, regret about what happened, what we didn't do, what happened, what somebody said to us. This is why Jesus says, you've got to forgive your brother. If you come to the temple with an offering, Jesus says, if you have something against your brother, don't give me the offering, go make it right with him and then come back and give the offering. Why is that? Because he knows that bitterness will keep us from fully serving him. In fact, keep us from serving him much at all. Regret, um, things that we didn't accomplish before. The devil will always be there in your ear telling you what you did before, you know, that your sins. You, you did this and you did this and you did this and you're just never going to, you're never going to change. You've got to be aware of his lies and walk away from them. The Bible actually says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Well, it starts with you to resist, to not keep listening to the same lie. And I know we've talked about this a little bit already, but I really want to get this in to, to everyone. Um, for some people, it's not the past, it's the future. Some people are obsessed with worries, anxieties. What's going to come? Will I have enough money? What about my health? What about my spouse? What about my kids? This is where faith is so important to come in to understand that the Lord has all those things in his hands, and that there are only three, three things you can control. You can control who or what you trust, your attitude about it, and what you do. That's all. You notice in those three things, you can't control anybody else. You can try, but you're not going to. And so let's not waste our time trying to control other people. Let's not fill ourselves up with worry and anxieties about what we ourselves have no control over. Instead, That's what Satan wants us to do, because if we're doing worrying about other things, then we're not worrying about what we should be, which is what am I going to do to accomplish the mission that God gave me? If I'm on my knees in prayer, if I know scripture so that I know what truth is from the lie, if I carry it out with everything in me in love for other people, then I will be about my Father's business. And as I go about that more and more and more, I will grow in Him more and more and more. And therefore, I will see justice in my time, because I will understand that the closer I draw to Christ, the more I will understand what truly is just and what is just my opinion. The last thing we see that Satan lies to us in is sin. Of course, that's the obvious one. But we must be holy. We must be absent of any known sin. 1 John 1, 9. If if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart, we will be saved. He's talking to believers. If you confess your sin, God wipes all that out. But you must be aware of your sin and bring it out. You cannot be in known rebellious sin and serve the Lord Jesus Christ on a long-term basis. You may do a good thing here, a good thing there, but you are an impediment, a problem, and a, a a potential disgrace to his name and the church as you are in sin. So remember, you may have been in sin all this time, you may be in sin right now, but today is the day that you repent. Today is the day of your salvation. And I mean, not from hell, but from a life of sin. Today is the day you repent and say no more, and the devil will be right there. But you've done it 500 times before. Today is the first day of your future. Today is the day that you decide not anymore. So we know we reap what we sow. And so the rest of the story was old Jake Gordon. Many, many years later, I think it was about 50 years later or so, a young fireman named John, again, his name was changed, working in a really wealthy area of Southern California, gets a call to a man in his 80s who just had a heart attack and on their way to hospital, this guy's delirious, and he's just recounting a bunch of stories deliriously, which John realizes made him an ex LA cop. I mean, he thought that was interesting. And as he's listening though, he wasn't an LA cop like Jake Gordon. He was one of those guys that um, was cowardly and a career climber and had stabbed a lot of people in the back. So as he gets him to the hospital, John goes to his father, Jake Gordon and says, "Gee, I, I just transported this guys about your age to the hospital. And Jake says, oh yeah. remember the Lieutenant that stabbed me in the back. That was him. And John thinks about that, and about two days later, he goes back to the hospital walks into the room where that guy was. And um, there's his wife in the room, and John makes small talk, and he says to the guy, Hey, my, uh, my father was an L.A. cop. I wonder if you might have known him. He says his name, and, and the guy looks at him and says, No, nah, I didn't know him. And um, John looks at him and says, Well, that's funny. He says he'll never forget you. The last chance this guy had on his deathbed, as he did die a few days later, to repent, to make things right, to be honest, he didn't take it. He had lived a a miserable life, and he was a miserable guy that uh, John, as the fireman, had looked into all this and said he had really reaped what he'd sown. Let us understand that there are great rewards in this life and the next for those of us who walk the narrow path of Christ. In this next episode, we're gonna see in chapter three, courage is the thing that we must have to continue on that thing. Now, I know you may be thinking, well, love is the one that ties them all together. Absolutely. If we don't have love, all the rest of it doesn't matter. But the most important thing that we must have is courage. And courage is not a thing in itself. We're gonna see that courage is a collection of all the virtues that come out in a moment of testing.